You're listening to Red Nation Online. He can't continue. I think it's Jordan Hamilton. I think you're right. Jordan Hamilton. And he picks a player out at the halfway line. Heavy touch. Hamilton it is. He stayed, he stayed on the field. Saturday, March 21st. It's EMB Sports, Aaron Nielsen, I'm Ian Clark, and we're joined by Toronto C2's own Kamal Hilton. The crew sits down on YouTube to catch the Reds' USL Pro side's first ever game. We discuss the importance of this level of football in the development pyramid, the match at hand with early goals and defensive faltering, and wrap up by selecting our players who stood out and ones to watch through the season. All this and more in the next 35 minutes on Eastside Stand Up. TFC two results, and I think we have to start it off, guys. Full disclosure: we have to declare a conflict of interest yeah. on this episode of Eastside Stand Up. There's a Toronto team. We have the man <laughs> sold out, big time. Kamal Hilton. He's no longer independent. He's representing the club. Kamal, I, you know what? I think that's we're gonna start. Up. Congratulations! You, oh, thank you. Uh, thank you you uh, are now, I guess, I don't know what what your official title is. Something along so you're gonna be you're gonna be writing about Toronto C two. Yeah. Covering the games, covering the team, the players, and all that stuff. Yeah, basically, anything media related that has to do with Toronto FC two, that's going to be my role. And it's kind of a natural transition from what I've been doing with RNO because, as you know, I was covering the academy basically maybe a year after it started, and kind of doing it on RNO off and on. So I know what they've been trying to build it just seems like now's the time because they have this usl team they never had that thing you know that that filter that was needed from academy to the to the first team now that they have that and they get to play competitive games from a media side of things they really want to push fans getting to know these guys because really you know, I guess people who listen to this podcast might know some of these guys, but overall, I would say the general fan doesn't know any of these guys, really. And that's going to be kind of where I fit in. My main goal in this position is trying to get their personalities out there. We're going to try and do different things as the as the season goes on and maybe as my role continues to grow. But it's just, you know getting to know the team, getting to know the style of play and just putting the academy because what taking what they've built in terms of infrastructure and now putting it out there from a media point of view. Yeah. yeah. yeah I was just going to, sorry, I was just going to add something that, um, you know, and if, again, if you read my stuff on RNO and other work that I do, I do a lot of um, academy work and USL pro work and college work and stuff like that. And because, you know, it's their own, you know, and we, we might discuss this later in the pod, it's their own choice. But because of Toronto does not have a USSDA team, 
that Montreal and Vancouver has and all the American MLS teams have. And because Toronto, for the most part, hasn't selected to put their players through American college systems, these guys are completely unknown to us. Where a lot of the guys who are signed as homegrown players for other MLS teams, we do know a bit about them because of their experience in the American Academy system, and in many cases because of their experience in, in college soccer. So, especially for a TFC fan, you know, even for someone like myself, um, you know, there's a few guys tonight who Toronto had drafted, and I'd known them through college. There's a lot of unknown guys, so it was cool to see them actually play tonight, and that's why I enjoyed the most about tonight's game. Yeah, I'm thinking or hoping that, you know, the what you're describing, Kamal, um, when you're talking about sort of the general fan, or, you know, if we talk about Toronto, which is a, you know, a robust footballing soccer city, um, you know, a lot of people have connections to Europe, and they have that connection between, you know, you hear about the academy starlet, and you might see them get loaned out to a club, and then you see them hop to the first team, and that structure, I think, that people might be a little more familiar with, with players coming through, this allows for it in a way yeah. that we might hear. We might hear like a trickle of a guy who's a 16-year-old that's supposed to be good. Then we can start seeing him a bit playing in the USL Pro and start being like, okay, he might be the real deal. And then when he comes to the first team, you know, there's those, those increments, those like logical increments of a player developing that was never there before and now i think that's well even in traditional north american sports where you have a minor league system where you have players playing junior hockey and then going to the ahl team before they come in the nhl team it does it does it gives the team certainly more chance and, and the organization more chance to scout and analyze their players but also gives the public that opportunity to do as well what i would say is what i figure the team wants is that Daniel henry type of story but you know, like Daniel Henry, imagine if Daniel Henry was coming up now and he had a, a team like the USL team where he could rack up a whole bunch of minutes against competitive, uh, other competitive teams in a competitive environment. He didn't really have that. I mean, he played in the CSL, no, no disrespect to the CSL, but I mean, this is more of a streamlined thing. And, you know, TFC, they have probably one of the best facilities in the league and they're making use of it. And like I was Corporate saying, yes, presented by Kia, <laughs> <laughs> presented by Kia, but yes, they have one of the, the better facilities in the league and they've been making use of that. They just want to now make full use of that and full use of trying to get these players up and up and up. And yeah, up. yeah. And I think that's, I mean, that's another thing I think we'll touch on as we watch this game is you mentioned the Daniel Henry story and his story. I mean, the way that he came through, I think, was not natural. Uh, I think, you know, part of it was, you know, he got graduated because the team was short on numbers. Yeah. Uh, the senior team was short on numbers and he was the one that probably showed the most physical promise. And then you look at uh, over the years and you look at this team, you think, I think back and say, geez, a lot of those draft picks who we kind of had to cut loose or those academy players like a Matt Stinson or an Oscar Cordon, they probably would have had a chance to keep playing with this team and probably would have done fine. Um, or there's guys on this team now that had there not been a USL Brew team would have just kind of fallen into that black hole. So that's probably from our probably all our perspectives, the most encouraging thing of, of this change. No, and I was just going to say, it's, and that's why, again, that it's the guys that you – don't know anything about are the most exciting to see like you know i know kamal last year did some league one ontario work and so and i went to a couple of games so we did get to see 
Toronto Academy play at that level. But again, you know, and, and the League of Ontario is, is another great building block in terms of soccer and stuff like that, but you don't really get the um, media and you don't get the um, um, access that you do with USL. So you can really see these guys and you can see who they are and what positions they play and things like that. Yeah, and if we, let's talk about this this season and this opening game against Charleston, which I thought was interesting that this is, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't Toronto FC 2 against another second team. It was against an established USL Pro Club um, with a lot of history. Yeah, probably now. You know, well, Sacramento is the new story, and Orlando's now graduated to MLS, but Charleston's probably the most historic USL team, at least over the past five, six years, because they won the championship a couple years ago, and they've always been consistent in terms of where they finished in the league and stuff like that. Yeah, so that's, I think, was my thoughts coming off of how would a Toronto FC team that's very young, and we've discussed at the start of the year, we had a little like mini preview on this Toronto C2 team and how they were built and how you look at the LA Galaxy, for example, who went out and brought in some veteran players, some experienced players. But Toronto C looks to be going almost exclusively on the youth side of things and how they would match up against Charleston. But Charleston also has some interesting young players. They have some interesting Cuban defects, <laughs> um, defectors on their squad, which is that's an interesting place for these guys to land. Yeah, and I'll just say one thing um, in general from someone who's followed USL closely for the past few years is I think the league is going into a direction to be younger overall. So today, um, from my awareness, Charleston had um, three or four rookies and about five or three or four other guys who were in under 23, under 24 years old. And historically, especially if you watch Rochester and, and teams like that from four or five years ago, the average age of the club would be 28 or 29. So it seems to be... So again, even last year when I was doing my preview for LA Galaxy, I thought they might have been a little over their head, which they turned out to do well, partly because they brought in those senior players. I think that's less than an issue this year, although inexperience certainly showed its head tonight. I think the the Cuban thing with um, with Charleston is really, and they bring in Jamaicans as well. That's that's really interesting. I think that was really a, a good test for. Uh, or TFC too, in in the sense that you're not playing against you know other Canadians that you know you might be familiar. These guys typically grow up together. If you're Canadian or American, you're probably used to playing against one another and used to that system. But you know, playing against Cubans and all of these Cubans were the you might remember this story if you follow the national team uh, during World Cup qualifying when all those Cubans defected at one time and Cuba had no bench they all ended up in Charleston <laughs> and I mean they have a history of that because you know Osvaldo Alonso that's where he really started his career yeah and you know then they have Jamaicans if you watch the game today Dane Kelly he was like really really and before he went off with injury he was like probably the most influential player for them yeah, and I think the way when this how, we set up how this game sort of unraveled, and I don't know if we'll go by minute by minute, but I think we can kind of do a broad stroke of the match. You know, that was sort of my thought was the more established club against the the newcomer, mm-hmm. and of course I'll do for the gazillion time the the boxing analogy of the you know the veteran against the young up and coming guy, or like Duran against Davy Moore, where 
he might he might look good in the early rounds, but when he's or like Hop, Bernard Hopkins was a veteran who always took these young guys into deep waters. And once they got in that round 10, 11, 12, or those guys that got in round 15 back in the day, it was just game over. The young guys couldn't handle it. They'd, they'd never been taken that deep before. And that was sort of my our think as of as of maybe in the 30th minute, we started saying like, hmm, this is what could be happening because Toronto just let's just start it off by saying out of the gate, Toronto looked amazing. Yeah, the 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 youthfulness, the energy, the exuberance, all that stuff was on display, and they looked fantastic. I'd say they they pressed really well. They used their their width. You know, Babuli and K really looked really strong, and you know Hamilton up there as well. Those three really tried to put pressure on Charleston's defense, and you know I think. Maybe looking at hindsight, you know, you would say, you know, it would probably have been better if they paced themselves a little bit in the beginning part of the match, but they really came out and started well. I just think, you know, and they really got energized off the two goals that they scored. I mean, scoring two goals within the first 20 minutes, that's like an amazing start for a young team like this. Yeah. Yeah. And especially when you look at the players who scored the two goals. Yeah. Yeah who have the most hype around them. And I will say that Jordan Hamilton, I'm sort of like not, I haven't quite bought into the hype of Jordan Hamilton yet, but I will say that when he latches onto that ball, his finishing is, it's clinical. Well, and that's what my point was, is is that that's where you see the difference between these high-end academy players and professionals at the USL, is that the professional, you know, just to give a grading system, the professionals at the USL level highest rating, they, they might have multiple skills because they have the experience, but their highest rating at each individual skill might be a seven or, you know, or seven and a half, where Hamilton's finishing, especially on his first goal, you could say it was a nine, right? Because he didn't have a lot of time until he was on to the keeper and he slightly flicked the keeper to score that first goal. And that's usually, you know, as I said, because I'm someone who's watched USL in the past, and those are goals you don't usually see in USL. Like you don't see that um, professionalism or that skill set that, that, at that level. So that's what you'll see. That, that'll be the positive in terms of the academy team. You know, the negative, as you said, is, is playing for the full 90 minutes or playing together as a team or the issue that I had with Toronto a bit was is there a defensive midfield core? And even though I think Apricio and Manella are good players, but they're very technical players because usually in an American system, the defensive midfield or the holding midfield are usually to more grittier, tougher, older guys who control the game by stopping the play at that point. You know, a great example, even though he's a younger player, is Laba, who used to be with Toronto now with Vancouver. And I don't know if those two guys fit that mold. And I think that that was the thing that I thought that's where they started losing momentum when they couldn't control that midfield. Hmm, yeah, and I think just to just quickly circle back to, I, I wanted to say, because we'll probably talk about it again, is where that, that first goal started with Hamilton, and that was... Um, Simonon with a long oh, yeah, ball yeah, yeah. that went through. And that's, uh, you know, I think we'll keep talking about him, but that was right off the hop. That was impressive. And that he sort of, that's what he's, that's part of the reputation that he's coming with is that yeah, he's, he's got a sweet left foot yeah. that he can drop in these long balls exactly where he wants them to go. And that's an encouraging sign to see right off the hop is that he's delivering, I think on what Greg Vanny and the senior team wants from this player. So Sure. The only concern I'd say Simeon you know, he's known, you know, through his time in South Carolina, 
he was known for that left foot, and he was also known for his ability, ball playing ability as a defender, which you saw it here tonight, where he was almost playing the holy midfield role. The concern for him, which we'll probably go into more detail, is his defensive capabilities and some of you know, and not that he was to blame, not that anybody was to blame for him. <laughs> it was the team, but you you risk something, right? Like if you're going to put, you know, Morgan is the classic story of this. If you're going to put an offensive defender in your team. You're gonna you're gonna have to compensate for those defensive locks and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. I I think part of the thing we have to keep in mind is they know going in they have all these games on the road. That that that's unusual for a team. What eight games on the road before you play your first home game? That's that's for a young team like this. That that's a mental hurdle. And then a lot of these guys haven't played in in places like Blackboard Stadium, which, you know, for a USL crowd, we'll say, it's, it's pretty, pretty good, pretty yeah. good uh, atmosphere. They had to rub Ford Mass. <laughs> yeah, that was funny. <laughs> there was actually a great, Duncan Fletcher did a great tweet of saying, if they if they knew it was up, they would have been putting that smoke through the mouth. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, touche, well done. <laughs> well done. But yeah, I think, you know, that was a mental hurdle for them to get over. And I think that played kind of a role. That and just, you know, not being used to things, still getting used to one another, uh, that played a role into what happened in the second half. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's. I mean, <clears throat> of course, we know the second goal was uh, Babu- was was Babuli um, <clears throat> on a, a hilarious play where the keeper who knows <laughs> died for a second. Who knows? Yeah, he thought he was injured, and then he was like, "No, wait a second, no, no I'm not." Cu- no Cuban jokes, but <laughs> um, and he just outmuscled the defender. And it was it's interesting how this game sort of flipped, where early on the Charleston defense looked really suspect. And then it was almost like at the, by the 30th to the 40th minute, we were saying, ooh, like Toronto's defense is now starting to look suspect. And there was a little window of multiple turnovers or bad defending. And it, things started to look shaky back there. And that's sort of where the game turned was around that 30th minute or so. Well, and the interesting thing is, is Charleston has a very young defense. And, and the irony is two of their very young defenders, I think, are both 22 or 23, ended up scoring goals for them on, on set plays later in the game. But yeah, and again, and you know, I guess this is a general question for all of us: How important are results at the USL Pro level? Like, do we care that the team is successful? Like, do you think that will help us in the future, or is it more about development? And then, what's the keys for the development? I think the primary thing is developing the player, getting him minutes, and you know, getting him meaningful minutes and whatever. Of course, they're gonna want to win. I mean. You should want to win. If they don't want to win, or like if the organization's only goal was developing and it's like we don't care at all about winning, then that would be really concerning to me. But I don't get that impression from a lot of these MLS uh, academy teams that have joined USL. I don't get that impression that it's just about developing they also want to win but that is their primary goal is to develop the player and just as a selling component to the usl this season um looking at the rosters of most of especially the mls academy teams but also looking at the teams who have connections to mls teams but are independent clubs a lot of teams have put offense first and so you know i think tonight's scoreline of three to two is going to be a common scoreline in usl 
a lot of extra work for you, but <laughs> but as an entertainment package, you know, just for an exciting game, I think you're going to get a lot more of that in USL than in MLS. I could guarantee that there's going to be more goals per game in USL this season than MLS. And the thing, the thing that I'm thinking, Aaron, to your question though, mm-hmm. is that I think out of the gate for us, we're talking about Toronto FC two. I think you're going to see, yeah, it's just going to be a logging minutes. But I'd be interested to see if. In a few years down the road, if we start seeing some guys who are just like they are going to be USL pro players at Toronto FC two, they're there long enough that it's like the mandate for the club at USL pro level is to be a top competitive team in that league, and then they bring in these players to get their minutes right. You know, instead of not everyone's just getting their minutes so that they develop into the first team, there might be guys that they realize they're not going to make the first team. Sure, they're sure. just going to be at the USL pro level. That's fine. And you're going to be the guy that's going to be there when you're 27 or 28, so when sure. the, so that you're going to be partnering up with a 21 year old center back, yeah, yeah, or a 20 year 21 year old defensive midfielder, and that they're going to be there to log their minutes. But under your wing, you guys are going out there to win games, yeah, and and to, and to win this league. That's yeah. for me. That's I think that is what sort of the vision should be of it. Is yeah. that it's not going to be about ah we go 0 and 20, who cares? No big deal. It's like everyone got everyone played. That's what we need. I don't. I don't think that's going to be the. I don't think that's the best approach to develop a player. It's just to say they were on the pitch for ninety minutes. He's going to automatically better. I think you have to build in the right mentality as well. The one place where I would question Toronto FC in terms of development of this USL Pro Club is based on the game in Columbus and knowing what we knew going into the season, where defense could have been an issue with Toronto's first team. I would have liked them to bring in more trialists, more older players in defense, even at that cheaper level, to see if they can mature enough to um, play at the uh, MLS level. And, you know, last year I talked about this with Wilmington, where they had Fairclough and Donaldson, who could have both, um, you know, who were sturdy older center backs who are playing at that level, who could have been options when Caldwell went down at the USL level. So you'd like to see opportunities that not only is this going to help Toronto FC in two or three years to come, but how it could help Toronto see the senior team in this season or, you know, sooner. Yeah, this is all new. So they might, I think they might end up taking your suggestions, like your suggestion of having older guys kind of be stewards Mm -hmm. for these younger guys. I think uh, a key thing, if they were going to go that route, a key thing is it would be guys that have been in TFC Academy system so they know what's going on you're not just bringing in random guys that you have to okay change their way of thinking to now the toronto fc way of playing it's already built in their brain yeah and then it's just their teeth like a 27 year old guy is teaching you know 18 year old kid this is how we do things take these steps this is how you get to a certain level well, the one thing, and just because you mentioned a few times, what LA Galaxy did do last year is, is the guys they brought in as a senior leadership were successful in USL Pro previously. So it wasn't the case of understanding the academy, which I agree with you is, is useful. It was understanding the style of play of that league and what's to expect week, week out and from that league. And that's where, again, you know, I, again, I don't think it's, you know, it's not the first team. We're not upset that they lost one nothing, and they're, you know, farther away from a playoff and stuff like that. But you did see some of the 
youthness and, and other things with the team this time. And part of that is I think it's a new experience for them. And, and so part of them, you can't blame it for that, but arguably they could have been prepared for it. Yeah. And I think, I think if you, if in a broad brushstroke, if we talked about the goals that were scored against, there may have been a lack of leadership yeah. on, on dealing with them. I mean, from the first play where, I mean, it, it's, it was kind of seemed very like uh very basic where they, you know, they think it was off a throw in. And then no one marked the guy who threw the ball in. Like no one stayed with that. And, and then he got a free cross and, and a free head, and the guy ran his <clears throat> yeah. defender on the header too. Right. And then when we flip back on the other side, I mean, technically these all came from set pieces um, or from dead ball situations or whatever you want to call it. And it's, I don't. I want to make the like the you know. It's kind of like a, it's like yeah. Well, there's that's Toronto. Like it's like <laughs> Toronto FC the senior team. It just trickles right down. It's like kind of I couldn't help but think it and say and now I'm saying it that it was like oh look at this and like can't handle the cross just like the senior team and oh can't handle a set piece just like the senior team it's like wow they're they are learning from uh, the organization aren't they um, sorry Kamal <laughs> don't want to put you in an awkward situation there but it's true Ian Ian said that <laughs> just to, just to I sorry sorry part have like a half like Jamaican accent I started throwing that in and get you in trouble. <laughs> Do something along those lines, but uh, you know that was sort of the thing that I would have I would have said if you look at those goals, and you have to say there was moments like very shaky moments that you know you're going to wonder as the year goes on who's going to lay claim to these leadership positions to kind of yeah. to marshal the team and tell them what to do. I think Manella was the captain of this team, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, sure. yeah. Um, and I thought at points I wouldn't have known that to be honest. Sure. I sure. thought the I got to the guy who played the. You know, on uh, Bezbachenko's grit chart, I think probably Simonon would have would have earned that uh, from some of his tackles and some of his plays. No, but, the other one was Bono was trying to play that role as well to his cost, right? Because yeah. he, he got the indirect free kick and there was a couple other plays that were a bit sketchy. But you could tell he was very angry in the box and you felt that he felt obligated to come out for all corners and stuff because he didn't under- trust his defense to, you know, clear the ball of the play and stuff like that. I think it's a, a communication thing. I think you would hope it'll improve, you know, as they go on this road trip. But I mean, for a first game, you know, I think, like we said, they started out hot. Then I think the goal just before halftime maybe kind of got in their brains a little bit. And then as Charleston started you know, using their fullbacks and getting the ball wide and getting crosses in and then getting set pieces. I just think so much pressure for guys that aren't really ready to deal with it right now. Yeah. That's going to get to a keeper, I think. You know, a keeper's going to feel, okay, now I need to command my area and he might gamble. And, you know, I think that's what it was. I think once they come together as a core defensive group i think he and start communicating more i think you'll see those lessen but for a first game you know you could see you know a little bit of yeah, jitters, jitters, and jitters and stuff like that, yeah. that's probably a, a fair way to say it yeah. that as this as again as this team got taken into deep waters you know they were they were they were bare, they were treading water yeah i think through the second half. And again i don't think this is a Toronto sea issue i think as USL and, and as again, you know, because it's free on YouTube and because the style of play, because of, you know, it's not perfect play, um, creates exciting soccer, you know, tomorrow, um, Alec Galaxy and Real Salt Lake uh, Academy teams are playing as well. And you'll see goals like that, right? You know, that's youth soccer, right? Youth soccer is, we don't know, 
you know, how the control set plays and stuff like that, right? And so, you know, as you said, as this thing progresses, you can judge them differently, but at this point, you can sort of give them a break for those certain situations. Yeah, and, you know, TFC is not the only new team. I mean, there's, what, 13 new teams or something like that, so I'm pretty darn sure, you know, <laughs> they're not going to be the only ones having jitters and making... You know, defensive mistakes yeah. like that. Yeah, will be interesting to see how the other Canadian teams do, yeah. do as well because they're sort of in the same boat in what, terms of their makeup. What's interesting is, you know, their next opponent, Toronto FC 2, next opponent is FC Montreal. They are basically bringing their PDL team into yeah. this environment. Now, I don't know if that'll be to a, of an advantage to them or not. We'll see. I mean... This is still somewhat of a new group because they have promoted U18 guys into this team. And PDL, it's not USL. I mean, they're under yeah, the yeah, same, yeah. you know, it's not the same yeah. level. So, yeah, no, I think Montreal will be very similar to Toronto or very similar to Toronto in terms of the young guys that we didn't know about Toronto going in this game. I think you'll be, as a Canadian soccer fan, I think you'll be impressed that these guys even exist because I'm sure people are not following PDL or following, you know, Canadian Academy team. So these, the fact these guys even exist is going to be a positive, but you're going to see slight issues and stuff in terms of Vancouver, just because we're talking about the Canadian teams. Um, I like Vancouver a lot, you know, Vancouver, um, not only their own Academy players and their own players they have, but they recently signed uh, Rosenblatt, who was the guy for um, Rochester and played yeah. in the USL for yeah. a number of seasons was a key Defensive midfielder, what we're talking about, and he's basically comes into that team and automatically the leader. He's the captain uh, and the captain, right? And so that's sort of the example. Um, and then they also have a number of young players, um, you know, who are very excited. Like you, inter- you, you had interviewed does. the coach. And one thing I'll say is also, you know, we talk about the players and how they're inexperienced. You know, Jason Bent. This yeah, is well, really, I was ask you about that. Yeah, yeah. This is really his first real you know, grab the reins and coaching of a team. He's been the assistant there for a, a while. One of five. <laughs> was it last year? One of six? Yeah, for, for a while. But, you know, um, you know, Montreal has Philippe Oulafroy. He's been coaching for, for years, coaching in France. He's been in Montreal for a while. He's been in the collegiate system. So he's used to that. And then Vancouver has Alan Koch, who's, experience yeah he is really good oh, at, at the yeah and ncaa like because simon fraser is in the ncaa division two i think it is so he took that team in there and they were very successful so yeah so those teams might be they might be a little more prepared just because their coach is more experienced but we'll, we'll see we'll see it's it's something new for everybody and it's it's exciting i'm, I'm excited for it. and heading out of this if we exit this game for the listener, maybe people didn't see it. If we could sort of name one or two players that we thought played really well or guys that sort of stood out to us that we should say, keep watching this kid, who would that be for you? For me, I think I'm going to go with K. He, he seemed really impressive. I mean, you might not have noticed him a lot in the second half just because the entire team was under pressure and dealing with stuff. But, I mean, when they were going well in that first half and really attacking... He show, he's he's a big guy. He's a big kid, and he he's, he seems really strong, and he seems really active, and and I think he, depending on what system they play, you play out wide, you play 
more centrally. He seems like a versatile guy. So I would say that's the guy to watch. For me, it's the guys who I think are the closest to making the next step. And so for me, it would be, even though I don't think he had the greatest game tonight, would be Bono and that would be Chapman, who played almost a attacking midfield role tonight. And it would be Hamilton up front. Because I think based on where, where those guys were drafted, based on the reputation those guys had coming in, and you know Hamilton with the uh, loan period in Portugal, and uh, Bono and Chapman with this historic or with this very um, <clears throat> collegiate career that was well documented. Arguably, if those if if USL did not exist, those guys would be first team guys this year, and we'd be expecting something about this year. So I expect them to excel at USL to to show that they can make that transition into the MLS. Yeah, and I think for me, I probably would say. I liked that I saw what I saw from like Simonon delivered what was expected of him mm-hmm. and didn't fall short on it. So the next step is for him to do the next thing, the next extra thing to be that locking down as a, a hard nosed center back. But I was happy to see that when the, you know, the lights came on and he was now at the next level, he made those passes that we saw when he was in the NCAA. He even made some nice tackles. He just showed, it didn't show any fear. I thought, and I thought that was pretty good that what we've been told about him and what we were yeah. supposed to expect. It looks like he's going to be able to deliver at the USL pro level. <clears throat> and then the other guy that I was actually really, I wasn't even sure he was going to get minutes was Luca Yacello. I thought that was an encouraging sign yeah, yeah, that yeah. Jason Ben obviously has faith in the 17 year old kid to come in and start playing this level. Well, what I liked about when he came on is he was incredibly active and he was interesting, you know, because the name we're not mentioning, who is probably the name most people know, and that's Ashton Morgan. And it's interesting because. Um, when Acello came on, he was almost playing that sort of left wing role. And so they're together. And because they're both active, and as you know, I've always said, I think Morgan is a better asset offensively than he is defensively. If they can work that wing well, I think there's a lot of options for TFC going into the year. Yeah. And again, that's just a, I, I made the comparison of like, you know, when you see, you know, when you see a 16 year old kid make it into the OHL. Yeah, yeah, you know that he's on track to yeah. become a pro, and I think by seeing a 17-year-old kid on Toronto FC, and he's never been the hyped-up academy player. I think he's like just humbly gone about his business. Uh, you know, it's it's always been Jordan Hamilton, Jordan Hamilton. Luca Uccello sort of has been, he's been going about his business <laughs> and being quite successful. And now I think people are going to start hearing about who he is. And, uh, and he's got a twin brother, too, who's a keeper. Oh, okay. So we might hear about him uh, in a couple of years, I would think, because the keepers develop a little bit slower. As, as Kamal says, he's a guy who can remain with the USL team for a couple of years and develop through the time. And you can see that. And that's the other thing you do if you're following OHL in hockey is you see a Connor McDavid be a, a, a decent player his first year, but by the time he's in the second or third year, being in a star. And, and you can see that same tr- tr- progression with these guys at the yeah. USL. Yeah, it's exciting. So on that, guys, we'll we'll leave it uh, leave it right there. Perfect timing. Um, <laughs> Kamal, what's the story with you now? Do you, are you still on your same old Twitter account, or what's how's it going to work now that you're uh... TFC two? <laughs> well, yeah. Well, for for coverage of oh, yeah, TFC, tweeting live yeah, tweeting <laughs> yeah, for coverage of TFC two, I'm going to be tweeting off that account. For those asking me, and I saw some of on my Twitter account, I didn't tweet the game tonight. But I will be from here on out, and you know, you and just follow me on at Kamal Hilton for you know my regular stuff. I'm still gonna be doing basketball, and I'm everywhere. So, I mean. <laughs> and I'm gonna be the I'm gonna be the anti Toronto FC too. <laughs> oh jeez. 
<laughs> no, yeah, no, I'm just going yeah. to be myself. So. Which uh, is that? EMB Sports, EMB Sports. Yeah, EMB Sports, <laughs> if you want the truth. Go to EMB Sports. And you guys can get me at, uh, at Clark RNO or connect at Red Nation Online or email uh, have your say at Red Nation Online. All those work. So, uh, And then the other thing is the next game for Toronto FC senior team is going to be against Real Salt Lake. I'm away that weekend. So this podcast will be returning the following weekend after that. I think it's going to be April 5th or 6th, I think, is the next uh, the next game. So we'll leave it there. Thanks a lot, guys, for coming out. Yeah, no problem. I'm glad we got to turn out this TFC2 podcast. Congratulations again, Kamal. Yeah, congrats, Kamal. And uh, thanks for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Eastside Stand-Up is the only Toronto FC podcast breaking down the game right after it happens. We want you to get involved. Reach out to us on Twitter at RedNationOnline or by email at info or have your say at rednationonline.ca. Get in touch with us. Let us know how you thought the team did. Agree, disagree, it doesn't matter. Also, check out our other podcasts on Red Nation Online. From the Black Hole, Ours is the Fury, the Footy Roundup, and our interview series. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you guys next time.